and welcome back to I Love Basketball, a Silver Screen and Roll podcast. I am Sabrina Merchant, and today I am joined by the fourth leading reason that the Lakers have struggled this year, <laughs> one Harrison Fagan. Harrison, how are you doing? Does that mean I get a fourth uh, or like the fourth most credit for last night's turnaround? Because it's like, you know, how there's that saying, like, let your apology be as loud as your disrespect was. And I just I don't know. I find it the most Anthony thing ever that after he goes on like a lengthy tweet rant about everyone to blame for this Lakers, you know, <laughs> failure, they have their greatest win of the season. And I, I'm just saying, look, I, I don't have to get like the fourth most credit for the turnaround, but I should get some if I'm getting some of the blame for everything that went wrong this year. I, I'll all I ask is, like, I'm in the top 10 reasons for last night's win. And the, just that I get, you know, the, the requisite credit for that. Lord knows that there is no one like Anthony in terms of inspiring opposite reactions to what he says. <laughs> but I'm willing to give you, you know, uh, a fair share of the credit for what was legitimately a fun Lakers game yesterday. Uh, that is a Fun sentence, second half. A fun second half, yes. Uh <laughs> Even so, I'm not sure that there has been a fun second half because most of the Lakers' good performances thus far this year have all been first halves. So I'm going to say that was the first fun Lakers second half. Yeah, of the year. It was certainly the first, like, entire second half that was fun because mm-hmm. they've had those moments where it's like, oh, like wow, Miami look at them go in the third quarter the and then they, like, half. blow yeah. it in the fourth yeah. <laughs> and make everyone, like, throw up the entire time watching them down the stretch, yes. even if they win. So, yeah, definitely the first, like, solid two quarters of basketball that they have played in a row this year, I feel like. Like, that's progress for this that team. That is Usually immense progress. Usually they can have two good quarters, but they're, like, separated out by some, like, hilarious collapse. And they yes. just got the collapse <laughs> out of the way over Early the first on. <laughs> 24 minutes, they're like, all right, we only have, we're going to use all of our kind of energy in the second half. We are going to load manage the entire first half, make Harrison consider moving to Alaska, and then, <laughs> you know, rather than cover this team, and then we're going to go off in the second half. Learn some new Alaskan cities in the progress. <laughs> yeah, that was great. That, that was interesting. Um, I learned a couple that, I mean, frankly, the only two Alaskan cities I knew prior to last night were Anchorage and Juneau. And now I've doubled that to four. That's so. that's one more than I knew. So yeah. <laughs> big, time. big time. But anyway, uh, you mentioned that the Lakers reduced their collapse to the first 24 minutes. And I would argue that really their collapse was limited to the first three minutes of last <laughs> night's game. And that is because those are the only minutes when one DeAndre Jordan played. And I know you and I wanted to talk about what the Lakers can do in this 10-day absence without LeBron James, but I do think an interesting place to start is what happens with the center position, because LeBron had been playing the center, so to speak, in these second unit lineups, and then also starting alongside AD, DeAndre, um, Russell, and then whoever the fifth perimeter player was going to be. I mean, it was Avery Bradley. He's injured now, so who knows if that's going to be Ellington, whatever, but if LeBron is not playing center anymore, like then theoretically that opens the door for Dwight Howard to be that second unit center. But I also don't think that Frank Vogel wants to play a center for all 48 minutes. Like I think he likes the idea of some small ball. So where do you think that's going to come from? Do you think that the Lakers are going to start small in the absence of LeBron or are they just going to bring in a second unit center? Yeah, so I, had I known that we were going to specifically talk about this three-minute stretch, I would have went back and watched it. Because one thing, like, just you talking right there just sparked me. I'm like, how 
like, how bad did DeAndre Jordan have to be <laughs> that Frank Vogel threw out, like, 20 games plus training camp of going to bat for this guy? Like, immediately reams him out on the bench. Like, you can see it. He's screaming at him over. Like, what did he do that was so different and so much worse than what we have been watching the entire season? Like, did he just not jump on a contest or something to like be that? Fair, like, he was only did he minus take a Chris Kamen nap on like... the bench? Like, <laughs> It was really just every single time down, the Kings ran a pick and roll. And Rashawn Holmes was uncontested to the hoop. Like, that's what it was. But that was happening, time. like, that was happening the whole rest of the first <laughs> I half, know. too. Like, that didn't fix by DeAndre <laughs> But, yeah, I guess maybe that's it. Like, it was just, it was like, can you just, DeAndre, can you just not let him dunk? Like, make him shoot <laughs> over you, at least. Or, some, like, do something on defense. But, yeah, it's kind of incredible. Like, did he, like, scream at Vogel that Rondo doesn't have swag on the bench? Like, did he, like... It, Say it something almost... mean to Avery Bradley while he was sitting there? Yeah, exactly. He's like, yeah, Avery, you aren't helping. And Frank's like, oh, no, no. No. DeAndre, <laughs> I will not allow you to disrespect the greatest Lakers champion of all time, Avery Bradley. Um, key to our number one ranked defense. Uh, yeah, no, I, I just, like, I just don't know what could have been so different than what we've watched almost the entire season, but... I think that what we've seen is sort of a gradual evolution in Frank Vogel, I think, starting to coach the team that he has versus the team that he wishes this was over the last couple of weeks. And what I think kind of LeBron's like absence almost set up was, okay, next 10 days or however long he's out in these COVID protocols, like battle to the death between Dwight Howard and DeAndre Jordan for the traditional center minutes. And otherwise it's going to be, it's going to be one of those two and it's going to be AD and it's going to be LeBron in these super small lineups. And we're going to embrace this small ball that seems to be our really only weapon on defense and offense. Like the only fact weapon. that it's been better <laughs> defensively, I think is finally what has gotten Frank to buy into it. He's like, it turns out you don't need to have just a tall guy and that's like there is more than one way to play defense in the modern NBA and he can call it junking the game up he can do all of this stuff but like I think ultimately we are seeing him you know we saw him after the Pacers game he sort of dismissed it as like okay yeah we kind of went to that but I don't know how much of a process it's going to be they get destroyed the next game by the Kings in triple overtime they go right back to it and win the following game against the Pistons and he's like yeah this is what we do now so you know, I think he's adapting to the team that this is. And, you know, I, I just, Dwight has to be in the driver's seat now after playing 35 minutes after he, again, like Frank told him he was not going to play. And then DeAndre was so bad in the opening three minutes that he got benched the entire rest of the game and Dwight Howard played 35 minutes. Like, I just don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if DeAndre was cut before the next game, you know, at this rate. Like, if he, that's how badly he pissed off Vogel. Now, I, I say all this and watch, like the way the season has gone, he's going to start the next game um but like, and Dwight will be sitting I, I again <laughs> based on the information that we have I, I don't see how Dwight is not in the driver's seat if not to start then to at least be kind of the only non-AD center in the rotation and maybe DJ kind of gets the Kent Bazemore doghouse treatment where it's like okay you're mothballed and maybe we'll need you at some point again but we have 20 games of film now and this is something that Frank likes to do where he kind of lets guys have an opportunity to fail over a large sample size. And it doesn't always lead to the most regular season wins, but then he can go to them and it's like JaVale in the playoffs. It's like, all right, we're going small. Like we have all this tape now on these types of lineups you do not do well against. So we're going small without you. And I think that this is something where now he can go to DJ and whether DJ's happy about it or not, who knows, but he can at least say, we have all this evidence. You can't say that I did not give you a genuine chance to win this role. Well, at the very least, you know, DeAndre has experience advising other people on what it's like to fall out of the rotation. <laughs> so he knows, you know, 
how to process those think emotions himself. Now he's going to call Blake Griffin and ask for <laughs> tips on how to be out of the rotation. He's like, Blake, I know I gave you some tips, but I kind of forgot I've been a starter and a star again. Like, I need to know how to accept this demotion. It is really interesting to think about what could have possibly gone wrong in those four minutes that... We got to go back and watch them. Yeah. We, we got to report back like next week on like just what did he do? To think, yeah. That we need the raw audio too. Like changed. somebody, somebody at NBA.com needs to leak the audio of what <laughs> Frank said. Like I know the coaches are mic'd up sometimes. Like we need to figure out what was said. Yeah, I mean I could see Frank continuing to ride with DJ and White while LeBron is gone, just because yeah. you know you have to fill the big minutes somehow, and the only bigs so to speak on the roster are ad the two centers and mellow and mellow cannot play the five like it is physically impossible for metal mellow to play the five at least defensively um, correct yeah he needs somebody like a defensive anchor next to him um and that's yeah, sort that's of an why interesting I think... question how bad would dj have to be for frank for frank vogel to go with mellow at the five like i don't, I don't think, think it's that, ever that far off from mellow being like a negligible like difference between what dj has given them for most games this year mm-hmm. but yeah i would i think that would still be a downgrade yeah, that, that's sort of where I land as to why Dwight needs to play in this interim because LeBron can play well as a defensive big. Like, he can anchor your defense, whether that's the four or the five. He's an incredibly strong defensive player. You just can't have lineups where, like, there is no structural defensive integrity at the front court. You know, like, that's why I think Dwight has to play because, as Frank said, like, a number of times in this postgame, he knows what we do. Like, he knows how to play defense. So I... In, like, a strange silver lining type of situation, I think this LeBron absence could open a door to Dwight playing some more minutes. Um, it's so weird the way that this roster has worked where, like, oh, I couldn't play Dwight today because I needed to get Austin Reeves minutes, but, like, that still makes sense based on the way the Lakers play. Um, without LeBron, I do think that there is an opening for Dwight. I, I'm i still not of the belief that Dwight Howard needs to start. Like, I, I realize that he accumulates fouls at a rate greater than just about any other player in the NBA, and I'm not expecting this... 35 minutes of production from him every given night. But I do think that if you're going to give 15 to 18 minutes to a center, those should be given to Dwight Howard instead of DeAndre Jordan. And I realize production-wise, like, they've been essentially the same individually so far this season. The advanced metrics are just astoundingly better with Dwight on the court versus DJ. Uh, And that's considering the fact that DJ gets to start and Dwight gets to play with these second units with, like, Malik Monk, Wayne Ellington, and Carmelo in front of him, which... Great, they can score, but, like, think about all of the fires that Dwight is having to put out defensively. Yeah, that's the thing. Is like, DJ was given these opportunities to be, like, set up for success. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, you are going to play in the best units. And he st- him and Avery Bradley still have, like, the worst, you know, yeah. like, net ratings on the team. Like, with that's with the big three. You yeah. know, like, that's – it doesn't matter if you think those guys are good. They're clearly not making those guys better and fitting in well with them. And it's like, you know, all these metrics – you know, we have 20 games now. Like, it's not a tiny, tiny sample size on a lot of stuff. But, like, Dwight deserves a chance to see if he can succeed with some of these lineups now. Like, we've seen that DJ is at the very least not helping things. You know, whether that's – like, how much of that's his fault, how much of that is just him being a bad fit alongside those guys, it doesn't matter if you think that he's maybe better than he's gotten the opportunity to show because he has to be able to do it if he's going to get these opportunities alongside the stars. And he has not made those guys better. He has not been able to be productive alongside of them. Like, again, I think that he's had his moments this year. Like, I actually thought that he showed some utility in that Pistons game. But Absolutely. he, uh, you know, that's also, like, maybe the worst team in the league so far this year. And <laughs> it's just, you know, and that was a revenge game for him after the Pistons bought him out. Like, you sure. know, they, they said, DJ, you cannot contribute to what we are doing here. Go help the <laughs> Lakers win a title. Go call Blake Griffin and see how it feels. 
<laughs> yeah, and so I just think, you know, Dwight deserves some of these opportunities to play in these optimal lineups as well. He's shown that, and I think that, again, while, like, numbers-wise, the fouls thing is a real concern, you know, how much the Lakers should still be starting big, I don't know. But if they are going to play a center, especially once LeBron comes back, which is a very different conversation or whatever, but it, it, I think that Dwight has earned the opportunity to have those minutes over DJ at this point. And maybe that changes. Maybe Dwight can't keep this up, you know, against better teams over a larger sample maybe those guys have to alternate just kind of old legs but whatever at this point it, it's got to be Dwight yeah I agree um I would still start small if I were the Lakers in this interim I would just put Mello in the starting lineup in LeBron's place so like AD Mello Westbrook um like Monk or Ellington and then I mean Talon's been pretty bad so I might even put Bazemore in that spot uh but I don't know if he is like sufficiently out of the doghouse after the one lob and one three-pointer that he had at the end of the Kings game. Um, it was actually a really nice lob pass. Um, I don't know how many people were watching garbage time of the Kings-Lakers game, but I had to rewind a couple times to make sure it wasn't Rondo throwing it because, like, Bazemore wears number nine now, so it's a little confusing. Uh, but, yeah, I... He should honestly have to give that number back to Rondo. Yeah. Like, he has not earned it. it, it <laughs> no. It's got to go back to Rondo. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think I think the Lakers should still start small. Um, and just use Dwight in those second units. But if they do start big, let, let's hope that, you know, this four minutes and 22 seconds is all of the sample that Frank Vogel needed to realize, okay, we can't play TJ anymore. Um, but I do think the more interesting question with LeBron's absence is how do you fill the playmaking role, the void that is left without LeBron? And for most of the season, the Lakers have been pretty strict about having one of LeBron or Westbrook on the court at all times. And AD, I think, tends to play more in those Westbrook lineups, but I could be missing that. Um, Against Sacramento, there were actually moments when Russ and AD were both off the court at the same time, which, disaster, let's let's not do that again. But I think... It worked! It worked last night! But yeah, yeah I, I mean, normally, I would not say that that is going to normally be a <laughs> recipe for success. But last night, you know, Rondo went to work. He took yeah. care of things. I think coming into this season, we would expect Taylor Horton Tucker to be that backup point guard. He has been so bad recently. Like, ever since that three-game, just immediate coming back from injury, oh my god, look how good this 20-year-old kid is, and then, oh my god, he's still a 21-year-old kid. Like, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's a problem. Um, do you think... Like, Rondo should be playing now? Uh, I realize this is a loaded question to ask you, Harrison Fagan. <laughs> but, like, who who should be getting those other point guard minutes? I mean, like, Rondo's there. THT is there. There's an argument to be made that, like, the other guards on the Lakers could have playmaking responsibilities. Like, what direction do you think the Lakers could or should go? So... I don't think that it's a question of either or for Rondo or Talon. So while LeBron is out, when, when mm-hmm. LeBron is back, that's very much, you know, an open question. I don't think that you need necessarily both of those guys. And that's a Correct. different conversation with LeBron gone. I think they both have to play. And the other thing is too, as much as I am a believer in Rondo and what he can give you and how he suddenly like brainwashes Anthony Davis into deciding that he's like Shannon Brown or like prime Tyson Chandler <laughs> or something. And like, he has to dunk everything like that. He sees Brown Rondo and he's like prime Tyson Chandler. <laughs> Yeah, 
You know, the, the a classic player comp where people are either, you know, they're the co- a classic, like, Shannon Brown, Tyson Chandler player sure, comp. Sure, sure, yeah. Uh, d- you know, that that is a player that comes along all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I, I just think that, you know, AD, he knows that Rondo is going to get him the ball where he wants and in positions to succeed. And I think that, that changes his mindset. I think we have, like, a large sample size on that. So I think Rondo should be playing with some of these bench units, especially when Westbrook sits. I still don't like the Russ-Rondo lineup anyway I know that they're going to overlap some just because like Frank does not want to kind of have Rondo in these weird irregular shifts where it's like just the minutes that Russ is not playing because Russ is a high minutes guy the Russ AD lineups have actually been dynamite you know over a larger sample size the Lakers struggled a little bit early on but I think that's like a double digit plus net rating now like those guys without LeBron um They've been really, really good. I was looking at that yesterday for as like an idea for a possible future piece. And so I think that that's one way that they're going to get by is like, you know, Frank was adamant before the game. We have more tools to get by without LeBron this time. We have more experience with this. Like we have more experience with these lineups. And AD and Russ have been a big part of that is like kind of their growing and developing chemistry. They're really starting to figure things out as a pairing. And then, you know, when you're talking about how do you fill the rest of that playmaking void, I think in the minutes that I think Rondo should play every single second second that Russ sits and I think that you have to get but Rondo can't do everything because he's like 36 or 34 however old he is now and you know he just yeah he's very very selective with how much effort he can give and you know to steal a phrase from our friend Mike Trudell like how much turbo button he wants to use and how much he (laughs) wants to push on it and all of that and last night he was like all turbo for like seven minutes and that's great when that happens but we also have a large enough sample size on Rondo to know now that that's not going to be every single second he plays every single time he gets in especially if he's a regular part of the rotation he's great is that like all right it's like the third game you haven't played in like two games we're gonna throw you in there and you can like just go all out for a couple minutes right the ship get things going the Lakers have to stick with Talon right now because of how much they invested in him and just like not just from like a oh like you need to double down on bad money or something like that if you're already of the mind that Talon Horton Tucker is a bad contract that was a mistake all that I'm not there yet by any means I'm still very high on THT's future for for that reason and just because of the way the roster is constructed to get the most out of it like who the, who the hell knows when Kendrick Nunn's going to be back? You need your only other non-minimum guy to produce, just from a roster construction standpoint, and just from a, like, if you think the Lakers need to make a giant trade at midseason, they still have to showcase THT in that case and get a team to believe in him and get him playing well going towards the trade deadline if he's not truly untouchable or not untradeable or whatever. You know, they, they just need something from one of those, like, non-minimum spots, and THT's the only guy right now. They have to give him a longer rope and continue I understand why he was benched last night I understand that it led to that run and that's a bad look for him just like we're talking about it with DJ but the difference is is that unlike DJ Talon still has like two things functioning knees and theoretical upside and you know (laughs) both of those I think should leave him you know in the Lakers rotation even if last night was obviously extremely rough especially early on as he as he and Russ basically had a bet going on who could turn the ball over on a more ridiculous lob pass yeah, the, the first quarter was just astounding in terms of what is the percentage chance that this pass gets completed from a Taylor yeah. and Russ perspective. Um, like, I was looking at the box score, and there's uh, a mention of, like, DeAndre missing a lob, and I'm I'm not entirely sure that he missed the lob. I think just the pass never got to him, and for some reason it's counted as a missed lob. Uh, but yeah, Rondo had just a, a wild plus 19 in nine minutes last night. It's a very... Oh, yeah, Rondo's on the team sort of He can do that like every three or five games. You know, he can. He still has it. He just can't do it every night. 
No, I think you're um, absolutely right about Talon, though, because not only like do the Lakers have a lot invested in him in terms of just him being the one young player on this team, I do think he's the only guy of like potential wing size to actually like play the three, so to speak, on a playoff rotation. Absolutely. And, I mean, unless the Lakers do something to address that need on their roster before the deadline, um, that that's going to be very important if and when the postseason comes. So I think you're right that, like, something has to be done there. I I don't think he's as good as he was in those first three games. I don't think he's as bad as he's been in these last few games. But there has to just be some consistency achieved with THT because it's, it's been so all over the place. I do think that Malik Monk does some very interesting things as a lead ball handler. Uh, if you put him next to, like, THT or Rondo and just let him do, like, half of the creation, his playmaking is a lot more advanced than I thought it was, you know, coming into the season. Admittedly, I did not watch a ton of the Charlotte Hornets, but from what I'd heard, that was not one of his strengths. And I'm not going to say it's one of his strengths now. Like, shooting is obviously the major thing, but he, there's he more hit, capability so, like, just, there. Sorry, shot-making tangent for a second. Yeah. <laughs> he was ridiculous last night on some yeah. of those shots that he hit that he just made, like, the half-court buzzer beater. You mm-hmm. know, he had that 1-3, I believe it was late in the third, where he got, like, it was like a dribble handoff or it was like a late-second bailout or whatever, and he just calmly steps into, like, a 35-footer and just drains it. He is ridiculous as a shot-maker. Yeah. Yes, go ahead. And I do think just the uh, enhanced or, like, extended minutes load gives him more comfort and more confidence to do those things. Uh, he he was also, like, calling out Westbrook for not running the right play in the first quarter, which I thought was just a level of, uh, you know, confidence that I wouldn't expect from a minimum guy talking to Russell Westbrook. Which is crazy, because Westbrook's, like, his idol. He's a yeah. dude like, Westbrook was, like, his guy. That was the guy that he, like, followed every single game, watched every single game of growing up. Yeah, so to see that happen, like, I think he's very much coming into his own, and... Just based on the fact that I don't think Rondo is going to have it every single game, um, I do think that there's going to be instances where Frank just like realizes right away, like this is not a Rondo game, and he knows better than anyone when it's a Rondo game. Uh, so you can just dump him and then like play more Talon and Monk because Monk's just the kind of guy that it seems like the more he plays, the better he plays. Um, whereas I think you know Ellington seems like veteran enough where he can pop in for five minutes and just like move around a little, make a couple shots, or at least take a couple shots to stretch the defense. Monk seems like the kind of guy who needs the ball in his hands more to get that rhythm. And the Lakers have those minutes available, so they might as well give them to him. Yeah, Ellington is a guy who's basically always on. I mean, NBA warm-up shooting is like, I mean, every guy is like a 90% shooter yeah. in warm-ups. Like, but my favorite thing so far about Co- our, our own Cooper Halpern starting to go to Lakers games and getting credentialed, which has been great, and him bringing us some like uh, on-the-ground observations from Staples Center is like, he sent me like three paragraphs on how incredible of a warm-up shooter Wayne Ellington <laughs> is. He's like, he's like, I don't think he misses. It's ridiculous. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, well, I remember my first time watching guys warm up. Like, I was like, oh, maybe D'Angelo Russell's going to be a 50% three-point shooter, like watching him, you know, go through warm-ups and stuff. But yeah, Ellington does not need much time to get going. Monk, I agree with you. I think, like, the having the longer leash of, like, knowing, you know, okay, if I make a couple mistakes, if I make a couple bad plays, for most young guys, we see that, where they play better when they can play a little freer, and I think that he does fall into that bucket. And on the playmaking thing, we've even seen strides, like, not only was that not something that he was especially known for, I think, coming into the season, but I think that we've seen strides 
strides as he's gone along in the season. I don't think that this was like some undiscovered gem. I think that he's making real progress in terms of especially like getting Anthony Davis the ball and, you know, finding him on those pocket passes and stuff like that. Monk was a guy that early in the season, like I, I remember that Spurs game when the Lakers basically gave up that like like they collapsed down right, the stretch. And they ended up because it Monk overtime, yeah. it was like basically Monk was not tagging the role man like he was supposed to, which again kind of setting him up for failure, but he wasn't doing it. And then on offense was, like, taking wild shots, not making good passes. Like, AD's, like, screaming at him for his shot selection and for his, like, uh, you know, screaming at a fellow Kentucky guy for his shot selection and, uh, like, for his passing and stuff. And I think I think that Monk, I'm not saying that, like, that specific moment was, like, some grand turnaround for him, but to go from that to where, you know, I'm no longer, like, if he takes, like, more than three dribbles, I'm like, oh, no, you know? I think that that's real growth and he's a young guy who theoretically like this is not something where you're like oh he is who he is at 23 you know he is going to theoretically develop continue to develop as a player get better in small ways and I think that's one of the ways that we're seeing I hadn't really thought about him specifically in terms of the playmaking burden but I think you're absolutely right that he is a guy that they at least need to see if he can carry some more load there especially if Talon continues to struggle it seems like Malik Monk is just making better reads in the offense, too. Uh, there was a play in the first half of that Sacramento game where AD was posting up and Malik just sort of flashed into the paint and then was able to catch it and lob it to Dwight. Uh, so just those little things, I think he's getting a better flow for whatever the Lakers are running on offense. And um, the switching, I think, helps him a bit on defense. You know, We'll see how much the Lakers are able to do that without those LeBron at center lineups. Um, like That's something that I... I don't think you want to be switching with Dwight Howard. Uh, maybe one to four, but not with Dwight. Uh, yeah. So we'll, we'll see how that works. Um, maybe that's an argument for just continuing to play small on the second unit with AD and then starting a big. But it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Uh, and to Monk's credit, he tries on defense. He he doesn't always make the right decisions. He no, makes he some not. like astoundingly horrible ones. Yeah, sometimes, some really weird he choices. Does try. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like it's not like lack of effort. And so like I, that's at least a positive, I guess. You know, while we're looking for silver linings and ways this team can like try to get by without LeBron. Yeah, I think uh, you know Frank Vogel can coach defense, right? Like he can coach people to understand what they're supposed to do and what makes sense in what scheme. And as long as, you know, the player brings that requisite effort, I think that's an important hurdle to clear because, like, if a guy's just going to lounge around, like, I don't know, Rajon Rondo, it's harder to get him to make an impact on defense than, you know, even if he knows what he's supposed to be doing. But, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's like he knows what he's supposed to be doing. Do his joints respond? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's, uh, I, I think the other thing, you know, that's a positive for this team kind of going into this stretch is, you know, Frank talked a bunch about, you know, we're better positioned to deal with this this time. And, you know, again, like I said earlier, I think all of that's true. Mm-hmm. The thing that, you know, this later, this latest, like, Lakers turning point, they've turned their season around thing sure. that kind of gives me confidence is just the way that it happened. It was like actual lineup changes. It was not just guys playing harder. It was schematic Mm -hmm. shifts and them seeming to recognize some things that weren't working for them and going to things that do and I also think that we're starting to see Frank coach for his job a little bit like he's a little bit less comfortable in terms of I'm just going to ride stuff out even if it's struggling and I'm going to play politics whatever like I think that last night may have been the shift where we see kind of the light bulb flick on of like this is a few too many rumors about my job security. Like, I don't care what Rob's telling me in the morning meetings or whatever. Like, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to coach to win because it's going to be me getting blamed if we are not. Because, you know, you see him screaming at DJ. You hear him 
like basically volunteer and every single player volunteer that he called them out at halftime. And he said that like, you know, if you're, I I forget who said that this was what Frank, you know, reiterated to them, but it was basically like, you say you want to be a championship team. Well, you're not playing like it and you need to play like it. And I'm going to play the guys that are playing like it. And I think sometimes that can be a positive turnaround. Again, I'm not going to predict that like Frank necessarily makes it through the whole season, but you know, if there was going to be a turning point for where this team revives in, where he starts getting on guys' asses about you got to go out there and play hard. And like, mm-hmm. if I'm going to go down, I'm going to go down coaching to win and coaching my ass off and not like playing out these larger sample sizes and giving guys opportunities to fail. Like, you know, because if you fail, it's going to be me who gets blamed for it. And right. I think that we started to kind of see that shift last night with him again, like he he did not expect to play. He told Dwight he wasn't going to play right. last night, which I understand everybody was like mad about this, whatever. Like, they're like, how could you do that? How could you like tell a guy that? How do they stay bought in? NBA play- Frank Vogel tells players when they're not going to play. Jared like, Dudley said this that- all the time. <laughs> Going back to the championship season, he was universally praised by everyone on the roster for he would tell them, like, hey, you're just getting a night off. We're going to get some guys, some other – like, players like to know when they're going to play or not. And I know understand that Dwight said he was down about not playing, but Dwight would have liked that. Dwight, I'm sure, would not have liked the alternative more where it was like – like, if he had just been benched the whole game and not mm-hmm. told beforehand. Players like to be told this stuff beforehand. But, again, to, like, tell Dwight, hey, you're not going to play and then be so incensed with what he saw from Deontay. Andre Jordan to completely bench him and play Dwight to the point where Dwight after the game was like, I don't think that I've played that much in a year and a half, you know, and almost the entire second half. I don't remember Dwight playing 35 minutes. Yeah, he probably hasn't. Other than like maybe last year when the Sixers were dealing with those like extreme injury and COVID issues and things like that. You know, I know that there was a game where they had like a seven man rotation or something like that, or like an eight man, you know, they barely had enough legs to get by maybe at that point or something. And Dwight's just forgetting that. But yeah, I mean, he certainly hasn't played anywhere close to that much in quite a while and I I just think that you know Frank coaching for his job could be a good thing for this team at this point you know since they haven't responded to the like hey we're gonna give you kind of the one-year extension to make you ostensibly not a lame duck like (laughs) you know Frank being you know just kind of coaching his ass off and throwing everything against the wall and seeing what sticks I think could end up being a good thing for this team in this stretch yes you were absolutely right about Dwight getting to 35 minutes last year when Philly was in their um, injury from hell situation, he hit 35 once and then 34 again. Um, but this is this is the highest. Damn, season right on the mu- this, yeah. see, this is why I follow Harrison Sanford, and he like tweeted that game <laughs> like he was like watching like a horror movie. In ter- like, so I have like I have like flash vivid flashbacks to his live tweets of this game. It's like yeah, like you know Dwight checks in for his second overtime after playing 50 minutes, like basically <laughs> stuff like you know it's like it's like wait like Danny Green's running point guard right now. What oof, like yeah oof. so. Yeah. yeah, he uh, he topped out at thirty minutes when he was with the Lakers. Uh, I believe it was that game when he uh, like started the second half against Jokic when we were playing Denver in that game that went into overtime when Monty Morris got LeBron mad. Yes, yeah, yes, <laughs> good times. <laughs> ah, memories. Of Is there a fun season? <laughs> anything else that you think the Lakers are missing that they need to address without LeBron? Like intangible nothing that they thing, need to address. You know? I just, like, bullet point reasons beyond kind of the nitty-gritty stuff that we, like, dove into. Like, I feel like maybe we didn't pay enough, you know, uh, words or, you know, time on this podcast to, like, Russ has been playing really, really well. Not all game. You know, he has, like, even he said, I think, like, I know Yesterday I played, like, shit in the first half. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like, he, you know, he has his moments where he's bad, but then he's had, like, a couple second halves where it's like, oh, 
that was Russ's best quarter as a Laker. And it's come like seven times in the last week. And at this point, it's like, this is starting to become the norm. He's playing well. He has been nowhere near their biggest problem. If anything, he's been kind of their best player, which is sort of a problem in and of itself because Russ at this stage should not be your best player. But he, it, you can't say that he is not doing everything in his power. And I'm so tired of like every single game, win or loss, or, you know, every single quarter being a referendum on Russ versus Buddy Heald. Like, this is the team that is It's a lot easier now. when you play the Kings, though. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, okay, fair point. <laughs> Especially when Buddy is, like, going off for, like, you know, like, 17 points in, in the three overtimes or whatever. I get it. But I just mean, in general, like, the Russ trade is made. It's time to evaluate it, not as a transaction, but, like, as how can this team get better? What can this team do? What is Russ actually doing on the floor? Not what offseason options did he take away. Like, that's done. That's hindsight. It's over now. We can talk about all that again once the season is over, and people can complain about whatever they want. But, like, Russ has been really, really good lately and kind of the driving force in any success that the Lakers have had as of late for the most part, other than that overtime get win against the Pacers where that was, like, very clearly LeBron taking them home, even if it was kind of Russ that carried them through the first segment of right. that game. He's been really good. I think AD, you know, I'll believe it when I see it that he's going to apply effort consistency. Like, I feel like every time LeBron goes down, he gives a national media interview where he's like, hey, I know it's my team now. Guys are telling me I got to step up as a leader. Like, this is on me. It's like he did it today with Chris Haynes again. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, great. Let's see you do it, you know for like five games in a row. But look, they got two wins. They only need eight more to fulfill his goal of turning the season around with a 10-game win streak. So two down, eight to go. I think that's like the mantra. He finally came up with like a rallying cry, and that's like his (laughs) next development as a leader. It's like, hey, guys, I said we were going to win 10 in a row and prove these haters wrong, so let's just go do it. Yeah, well, seeing as the Lakers have already blown past the not losing consecutive games thing that was the hallmark of the first championship season, I guess he had to try (laughs) something new. Uh, Yeah, and I think that Russell Westbrook's play is like, the main reason why Frank Vogel says that they're in better shape than they were, you know, before when LeBron is out because they have a capable floor general leader who, I mean, just mind numbingly bad turnovers at the beginning of that game. But like for the most part over the past two weeks, like he's been the Russell Westbrook you could have expected. Like, I think it's just so hard to separate him from like everything the Lakers give up to get him, which is really the problem. But in terms of him as a player, as the Lakers point guard, He's what the team needs right now. And like you said, that Russ-AD chemistry is just getting better and better. Um, that, that's just a problem with AD. It's just he can't create his own shots, and that's what makes yeah, it so yeah, much harder course. to evaluate. I, I empathize with AD. I think that sometimes <clears throat> he, gets, he gets criticized for stuff that is not his fault. And, Mm -hmm. you know, like that it's easy to say like, oh, like, oh, he's settling for jumpers too much. Like, what do you want him to do when DeAndre Jordan is down there like (laughs) clogging up the paint or whatever? It's like, oh, all of a sudden, like, oh, look, look at how aggressive AD is when they're playing small now. It's like, oh, my God, it's a miracle. I can't I can't believe this is happening. He's changed his mindset. Ah, No, and he has Rajon Rondo throwing him excellent love passes again. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Or entry passes or what? like Rondo has mastered the art of the entry pass. Um, You know, the the Quinn Cook memorial criticism from you. But no, I think Russ has stepped it up. He has reached on that like famous like preseason meme of like the Russell Westbrook season chart. Like he's, you know, it's pre-January, but he has reached the, oh, Mm -hmm. section of that chart. And then so like I think in the next couple weeks we should be getting to the this is the best player of all time segment of the season with Russ. I mean, this is his time to like make an all-star push, you know? Yeah. uh, Without LeBron available. It's going to be so interesting to think about how many All-Stars the Lakers are going to get. Can you but, imagine how mad th- – that is going to be a hilarious day on NBA Twitter if all three Lakers uh, on, like, the sixth or fifth-seeded Lakers are named All-Star starters. Especially if Steph isn't. Oof. 
No, you know, Steph, Steph will get the vote. Gonna, Steph yeah, will make he'll it. He'll get yeah, the fan Steph vote. Absolutely. Yeah. I take that. yeah. <laughs> no, that that will be an interesting day just to see um, which of them get named and Chris Paul does like and ends up having to come <laughs> off the bench. Yeah, the number one seeded Phoenix Suns and Russell Westbrook <laughs> is starting. Ahead of Chris Devin Paul. Booker and Chris Paul are coming off the bench. Oh man, this is going to be hilarious. Oh, I just realized this for a very time. long time. <laughs> Um, I guess the only other thing that I, I mean, Lakers have two days off here for the first time in like a month, basically. Um, like, do you, uh, they're playing your Clippers that you cover on a day. Yeah. Your Clippers, (laughs) the, the fighting Clippers with Paul George and Eric Bledsoe and Reggie Jackson and whoever, like, are, what kind of threat do the Clippers present at this point? I feel like we would not be doing our job if you did not give Lakers fans some insight on this as someone who watches this team every day. Yeah, the Clippers have not been playing super well as of late. Uh, They have been unable to defeat the New Orleans Pelicans on multiple occasions, sort of the the thunder to their, you know, Lakers as the Pelicans Every team has their kryptonite. Yeah, everyone has one. Um, Theirs is Jonas Valanciunas making seven three-pointers in one half. (laughs) Seven of seven in one half, which... Just a remarkable shooting display that I did not think was possible from Valentinus, but like they have a really, really good defense and then just cannot stop turning the ball over. So if the Lakers manage to just be effective So they're like in half the Lakers. They have like the yeah. turnovers thing down. They just are good on defense. Uh, yeah. But they're just like exceptionally bad at turning the ball over. Uh, okay. Not really like Le- worse than the Lakers? It's been really bad over the last okay. like 10 games. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, so well, this game should be hilarious. Then. This is the kind of thing like you could see like a very yakety sax type situation where just the ball keeps flying like back and forth all over the court. It's the kind of game where the Lakers really need to be efficient in transition. They can't waste their transition opportunities because the Clippers are excellent defending in the half court and the Lakers already have their own, you know, struggles getting efficient shots there. But they will give the ball up and that's where the Lakers need to pounce. And as far as like defending the Clippers, their offense has been just uh, been rough. Um but I do think that Zubac is always very excited to play the Lakers and takes this matchup very personally. So, so, so that is might Paul be... George, for that matter. True, true. Yeah. Um, Zoo, I feel like, even more. <laughs> well, yeah, of course, Zoo, even more. Like, Zoo, this is, this is the team that gave up on him and, like, gave him away, basically. From, how could you not be offended if they passed on you for Mike Muscala? Uh, it's the one really, like, problem that I have with the JaVale McGee era in Los Angeles was yeah. that his ego was too fragile to handle Zoo in Los Angeles. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that, that's where I land with the Clippers. Just a, a really awesome defensive team. Very, very blah offensively. If they make threes, they look good. If they don't make threes, they don't look good. And like, they have a couple good shooters and like Paul George and Reggie Jackson. But like, the majority of them are like, maybe it'll go and maybe won't. You know. I, I mean, look, the Kawhi-less Clippers versus the LeBron-less Lakers. Like, this, this should still be a relatively even matchup. Right. Like, I, I think I about think. the last couple times the Lakers played the Clippers uh, at the end of the 2021 20, season. And, like, one of them was without LeBron and AD. And it was, like, a laugher by halftime. It was yeah. it was a game where I think, like, Marcus I'd Morris was that, that game from my memory until now. <laughs> <laughs> it, Literally, Marcus Morris and Marquise Morris had scored, like, the first 16 points of the game. Like, it, yeah. was, it was a weird game. Um, and then I, I think they got, like, routed the other time, too. But, yeah, the, the Clippers, I think, are always just a good test for the Lakers. More so because I think Ty Lue knows how to defend LeBron better than anybody else. But in a game where LeBron is not playing... How much of an advantage is it that Ty Lue knows how to coach and, against Well, LeBron? Ty Lue last year, now that I'm remembering this game, if mm-hmm. I remember correctly, he basically put Anthony Davis in hell. 
uh, yes. you know, like on in terms of like throwing defensive help and all that stuff. And th- those are the games where it's like AD gets criticized. You can't re- like somebody else has to take advantage of Absolutely. that defensive attention he's creating. And, and this, this is the game. game. It's like this is why you traded for us. You know, mm-hmm. like this is the guy that should. And, and, and as well as having a couple other shooters on the floor, these are the like these are the things that should allow you to beat them throwing the kitchen sink at AD like that. Absolutely. Um, I I think that they're going to do the same thing. It's just try to disrupt AD, um, you know, apply a lot of pressure on him when he has the ball in the post, make him be the turnover-prone guy. Yeah. Um, and this is where Russ has to take advantage of all that extra attention. And it's something that the Lakers were incapable of doing last year because just a bunch of guys missed shots around AD and then nobody else could, like, dribble um, because it was one of those stretches of the season. Uh, so, yeah, this is a game where Russ just has to be well, I mean, now I'm excited. I, I was not, like, going into last night after the news about LeBron, and obviously, like, I hope he's all right. I hope he continues to be asymptomatic. Everybody, I got boosted. I believe you got boosted. Mm-hmm. I, uh, You know, like, everybody, go get your booster shot. This is a real threat. Um, but, like, I, I hope he's all right. I did not think that I was capable of getting excited for, like, a Lakers game with him out based on everything they had shown going into yeah. that Kings game. Like, I was, you know, I went from tweeting that if they went triple overtime again, I was going to move to Alaska <laughs> and, like, disconnect my internet to, like, I'm excited for Lakers clippers on friday so that should be fun it's fun playing the sacramento kings i gotta tell you like playing a team where their head coach has to issue an apology to the fan base that was the, the funny <laughs> i think jacob's blogging that right now for the site that is like that's the uh, instantly the lakers greatest win of the season is like if it's so bad that the opposing head coach apologizes to the fans and basically threatens to cut or trade his team as an interim coach like five games in that's a good win yeah, I mean, if you're going to cut anyone, Alvin, uh, Damian Jones, let's start with yeah, that guy. Let's, let, free him, you know, free like Damian. maybe trade DJ for DJ, you know, yeah. like we can we can make that, you know, I, DeAndre Jordan might be able to fix your locker room. I don't know what else he could do at this point in his career, but he might be able to do that. Yeah, in four minutes and 22 seconds, let's see what kind of damage <laughs> I'm not saying play him. I'm saying he's going to come in. He'll be a good vibes guy. He'll get the, you know, Sacramento, call up Rob. I, I think we can make this work. Yep. And no one will even notice. It'll just be like a little initial DJ for DJ. All right. Well, that has been I Love Basketball. Thanks so much for coming on, Harrison, in place of Anthony. Uh, Anything you want to shout out that you're working on or... No, I, I'm just I'm excited that I was able to bring on someone else who actually loves basketball, and so I feel like it's like so lopsided having Anthony as like the, the normal co-host of the show. Now well, we don't call it we love basketball. I got to tell yeah, you, yeah, it's it's you. Lo- it's like Sabrina loves basketball should be the name of the show because you actually love basketball. I'm convinced that Anthony just loves being angry, and it's mm-hmm. one of the things that like I respect. I'm almost in awe sometimes of his ability to get genuinely upset at like the most like minor things and so yeah i'm happy to bring someone else on that after last night once again loves basketball this team had made me hate basketball for the first like 20 games of the season but last night was very fun i'm excited to like have a job covering basketball again so thank you yeah hopefully it continues for you know at least a few more games uh, before we get the next (laughs) turning point of the season but until then uh make sure you're subscribed to the silver screen roll podcast wherever you listen to your shows we've got Talk about the Lakers every day of the week, and we'll be back with Island Basketball next week.